Well, let's uh, read together Luke 18, beginning at verse 35. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him. What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he is gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Well, congregation, today we have two accounts that Luke puts together. But I want to suggest to you that these two accounts are very similar, and and I'm going to use both of them to show you three things. Number one, I want you to see that both men cannot see Jesus Christ. Both men, by nature, cannot see Jesus Christ. In the first section, we see that in verses 35 to 37, and then in the second story, we see that in verses 1 through 4. 35 to 37, chapter 18, chapter 19, verses 1 to 4. Both men cannot see Jesus Christ by nature. Number two, both men exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Both men exercise faith in Jesus Christ. That comes from verses 37 to 41 in the first story and verses 5 to 8 in the second. Verse 37 to 41 in the first, verses 5 to 8 in the second. And then the third thing we're going to see is that both men receive salvation. Both men receive salvation. Verses 42 to 43 in the first and verses 9 and 10 in the second. Now, these two stories are put together because they both happen around the vicinity of Jericho. Now, boys and girls, you may remember what Jericho is famous for, don't you? Jericho is that city that in the days of Joshua 
God's people circled that city and blew the trumpets and the walls came down. God did a great miracle and the people of God were able to conquer that city for the Lord. It was one of the first places after crossing the Jordan that the people of God had a great victory. And it's interesting that Jesus would perform miracles of his own here in that city where the walls came down. Because there's a sense here that the walls of unbelief come down for these two men. For Bartimaeus, and we know he's Bartimaeus because Mark in his gospel tells us who this man is. His name is Bartimaeus. Luke doesn't tell us his name. But Bartimaeus in the first story and Zacchaeus in the second story. They have the walls of their heart come down and they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have the scales from their eyes fall away and they see the Lord Jesus Christ here. And I want to show you this in these three parts that I've mentioned to you uh, here today. Both of the men, first of all, can uh, come to Jesus Christ in a natural condition. They cannot see Christ naturally. Now, one of them cannot do so because physically it is impossible for him. He's blind. And that's Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind, boys and girls, and so he cannot see anything. He cannot see Jesus. He cannot see uh, any any one uh, of his neighbors. He, he, he is a man who is poor. It's interesting that they, though these men have a similar condition, they're, they're very different, aren't they? One man is very poor. He's dependent upon alms. Another man is very rich. But both men need and want to see Jesus. Bartimaeus cannot see Jesus because of a physical disability. Zacchaeus cannot see Jesus because he is short in stature and people in front of him are blocking the way. And so Zacchaeus has to find a way where he can climb up in a tree and look down and see Jesus. But both men are hindered in different ways from seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, oftentimes the Gospels will give us these accounts, I think, to teach us spiritual reality. That's not to diminish the physical miracle itself. I think the miracle is testifying to the fact that Jesus is fully God and is able to perform powerful and wonderful works in, in his own name. And I, and, and I don't want to diminish that at all. But it's interesting that the gospel writers often use these Miracles as also lessons for a spiritual truths that need to be taught. And namely, one of the things that we see in the Gospels is the truth that we cannot see spiritually by nature. We, by nature, because of our fallen condition as men and women born in Adam, we are blind to the truth of who God is. And because we suppress the truth in unrighteousness, we also do not see who Jesus is by nature and that the work of seeing Jesus Christ by faith is as much, if you will, a wonder work as Jesus laying his hands on Bartimaeus or giving Zacchaeus the invitation to come and dine with him. Now, let me give you a few examples of this. For example, lest you think I'm taking this too far. Let's look at a few gospel passages. For example, let's look at John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 and verse 35 and following, we have an account of Jesus healing another blind man at the temple. And in John chapter 10, uh, we 
Excuse me. Sorry, John chapter 9, I wrote it down wrong. John chapter 9, verse 35. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, they said, do you believe in the son of man? Now, this is a man who's just been healed of blindness. And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now, notice what Jesus says here in verse 39. Here's the key part. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world so that those who do not see may see. You hear that? That those who do not see may see. Now, he's not just talking about those who are physically blind. He is certainly talking about those physically blind and he's performing miracles on them so that they do miraculously see. But he's also talking about people who have eyes but still don't see the truth of Jesus. People who can see physically, but they don't see who Christ is in in his truth. And so Jesus is saying he came into this world that those who do not see may see. That is, those who do not have the ability to believe that they will believe. And that those who see may become blind. That is, those who think they know the truth, such as the Pharisees, would become blind. That they would realize they don't know the truth and they need the truth. Look at verse 40. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, we are not blind too, are we? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. That is, if they would confess that they are blind by nature... Jesus says your sins would be forgiven if you would acknowledge your spiritual impotence, if you would acknowledge your inability to believe on Christ by yourself, to 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 see the truth and you would call out to God for mercy. Then you would receive the mercy and you would be forgiven. And that's what Bartimaeus is doing. And it is a picture not just of what physically the blind were to do in Jesus's day, but in many ways, it's a picture of what all of us are to do. We're to cry out, son of David. Have mercy on me. He is blind and, he, and Bartimaeus knows that his only help is if Jesus will stop and help him. His only help out of this condition is to recognize he is in a bad situation and only God can deliver him. And friends, that's what we have to often do is help people to see that they can't see. To to teach people that first you need to understand that by nature you are blind and you aren't. You know, we live in a day where people, they'll, they'll say, well, I don't go to church, but I consider myself a spiritual person. And we need to help them see that being a spiritual person doesn't mean you, you see the truth. But it may mean that you are interested in those things, but you still haven't come to the truth. You still don't know your your bad condition. Look at uh, John chapter one in in the gospel of John. John also uses this imagery of sight and, 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 and blindness in the terms of light and darkness. In John chapter one, in his famous prologue in verse nine, chapter one, John says there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Now, what is the true light? Well, the true light, which gives sight. Remember, boys and girls, if there's no light, 
we don't see. You need two things to see. You you need eyes that work and, and you need light. You can have eyes that work, but if you're in a place where there's no light at all, you're not going to be able to see. And so John is saying Jesus is the light. There was a true light. Who's the true light? Jesus is the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Now, here's what I want you to see. What is John's diagnosis of the condition of the world? The world did not know him. Or to put it another way, the world was blind. The world is like Bartimaeus. The world is like Zacchaeus and cannot see Jesus. Things are in the way. Zacchaeus is a rich man and rich people often have many things that stand in their way of seeing Jesus Christ because of their prosperity. They think they don't need Christ often because they're successful in the ways of the world. He, and so John goes on, he said, he, he, Jesus, came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. They were blind and they did not receive him. But John goes on to say, but as many as received Christ, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh or the will of man. Notice here. How do these people come to the light? How do they see? It's not by birth. It's not by legacy. It's not by the will of man. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God coming to a person and and working a wonder in their life and enabling them to see. I am in the darkness. And I need the light of Christ. I am blind. Lord, help me. Son of David, help me. And, you know, this is this theme is seen once you see it in certain parts of Scripture, you see it in a lot of parts. I mean, what do we find in Genesis? We find that the world is in darkness. It's void. It's chaotic. And what is the first thing God says? Let there be light. It's a picture of what God does in creation. And it's a but a small type of what he does in, in, in redemption. In day four, he, he creates the luminaries, the stars, and the moon and the sun. And it's interesting, I emphasize that in Genesis, because what do we find in Revelation 21 when we get to the end of the Bible? We see that God is the light, that there's no need for the sun or the moon in verse 22 to 25. There's no need for the sun or moon anymore because the glory of God is in the midst of God's people. And we are told that the lamp is the lamb. Jesus is the light. We see why is that? Well, it's because the darkness of judgment fell on Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. Even though it was 12 o'clock at noon, the sky became darker than darker than night. It became an Egyptian darkness. Just like in the book of Exodus, where God allowed it to be dark on the Egyptians and there was light in the households of the Israelites. The darkness has fallen on Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Why? Well, because The light must be extinguished, if you will, so that we might receive the pardon for our sins. What do our sins deserve? They deserve judgment. Our sins deserve outer darkness. We deserve to go to a world where there is blindness, where there is darkness. 
But Jesus takes the darkness on the cross. Jesus takes the judgment. And so even though it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, the sun is blackened out. And the judgment clouds of the father come on the cross and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you are being judged by the father for the sins of your people. And I am bringing this darkness, this blindness down on the cross that your people might see, that they might believe, that they might be rescued from their condition. And so we need to understand that as we go out and evangelize, as we go out and share with our neighbors and, and with our friends and our co-workers, one of the things we have to do is we have to emphasize to them that, that by nature we're all in the same boat. That, that by nature we, we are all in this poor condition. It's only by grace that God causes any of us to see. I once was blind, but now I see. As we sing in Amazing Grace. So that's the first thing we need to see here. Both men are in this condition naturally. They cannot see Christ. Bartimaeus cannot see Christ naturally. Zacchaeus cannot see Christ naturally. Both need a work of the Lord. So that moves us to our second point, and that is that both of these men Exercise faith. Now, let's look, first of all, at Bartimaeus in verse 37 of our text. They told him that Jesus was passing by. Now, here's Bartimaeus. He's wondering what's all the noise about. What's the commotion about? What's going on? What's exciting? I'm hearing lots of people. And so they tell him Jesus is in town. And so what does he do? Well, verse 38, he he called out saying, Jesus Son of David. Now, that's a messianic title. You need to realize there's evidence of faith right there. Jesus, son of David. He's saying you are the expected one. You are the son of David. You are. That is a a, a title given to the Messiah. Jesus, son of David, King Jesus, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. So there's opposition to his trying to come to Christ. Not surprising. But what does he do? He cries out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so Jesus stops and asks him what he wants. And he says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. So we see here that Bartimaeus did exercise faith. Now, to some of you, this may seem like a contradiction because you just told me, Pastor, That I'm blind and there's nothing I can do. My will can't do it. My flesh can't do it. My heritage can't do it. What am I to do? There's nothing I can do. And so some people, they take the position, well, if I'm not the elect, I'm not the elect. Nothing I can do and I'm not going to do anything about it. Notice here that neither man is is, is, views it that way. That is, it is a work of God, but it is also a, a, a genuine faith. It is your faith that must be exercised. Now, that faith is a gift from God. That's what Ephesians 2 teaches. It is a work of grace in order to have faith in Jesus Christ. But you must exercise faith in Christ. You, you can't just have a, a quietism about your faith. Your faith 
must lay hold of Jesus in a very personal way. You you yourself must look and lay hold of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must exercise a trust in Jesus. Or we can look at Zacchaeus and see that Zacchaeus in many ways put himself in the way where he could have faith in Christ. Zacchaeus could not see Christ. What does he do? He he climbs a tree. I would liken that to putting yourself in the church. If you cannot see Jesus Christ, if you know that you don't see Jesus Christ, you know you don't have faith in Christ. Get yourself here regularly in church. This is the high tree. This is the vantage by which you can see Jesus every week. Because we preach Christ and him crucified here. And this is where your faith will come into being by the grace of God. This is where your faith, if it's a new faith, if you're a new Christian, this is where your faith will be strengthened and nurtured. And, and, and this is where you'll grow in assurance if you have faith in Christ. But you're not sure you have faith because you lack assurance. This is where your assurance grows. It's by laying hold of Christ as he's offered to you week in, week out through the preaching of this word. This is where we see Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether we're in the Old Testament or whether we're in the New Testament. Our job is to preach Christ. Sir, may we see Jesus. It's a plaque that's in many pulpits. It's a remind the preacher every time he steps in the desk, in the sacred desk, to preach Christ. So when we're in Proverbs, we're still preaching Christ. (laughs) Whether we're in the Gospels, we're preaching Jesus Christ because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega of our salvation. And that's the one we need to see day in and day out. And Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to see God. I want to know, says our children. I want to know what God's like. I want to know who God is. I want to see God. How do I see God? Well, we see God by looking to Jesus Christ. Because this is the full expression of the Father given unto us in our humanity. And by the Spirit of God, he gives us the ability to to see Christ and to believe on Jesus Christ. But you personally are going to need to lay hold of Christ. You, You can't just have an orthodox view of Christ or just an orthodox doctrine of Christ. Though that is important, but it's not sufficient. You must have a trust in Christ. You must have a living faith in Christ. You must lay hold of him like the woman with the bleeding problem. You've got to grab hold of Jesus by the hem of his garment. If you need be, you need to grab him by the the strings of his sandals and weep on his feet. If need be. You need to cry out like Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me. You cannot just use it as an excuse The sovereignty of God. There is human responsibility here. And this is the great mystery that salvation is all of God. All the glory for our salvation goes to God alone. Not one ounce, not one thread belongs to me, belongs to you. It's all of God. And yet at the same time, we are responsible to believe. We ourselves are responsible to trust in Jesus, I cannot use the sovereignty of God as an excuse to not believe. In another sense, it is up to you. You must do this work of faith. You must lay hold of Jesus Christ. You must cry out to him. You must trust him. And you must put yourself in a place where you can see him. 
And if you don't know Jesus Christ and you're not regular in church and you're not regular in prayer and reading of the Bible, then you probably will won't come to Christ. And if you're not regular in in the means of grace, you you may not have genuine faith in Christ. I say that to those who who think they do. There, There are people who think they have faith in Christ, but they don't use the means of grace. You might want to question that. Because there are those who profess faith that they do not possess faith. And you better make sure you possess faith. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself saying, Lord, Lord. Didn't I do these things in your name? And Jesus says, I didn't know you. The axe is, we pray, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. And if the tree is not bearing fruit for Christ, it's going to be cut down, thrown into the fire. What is the fruit? Well, the fruit of faith. the, The fruit of the spirit. Fruit of trusting. It's evangelical obedience. Probably not enough preaching on that. In our churches today. And we see the evidence, don't we, of their faith. Bartimaeus has simple faith. He simply trusts. He believes and what he is healed. He is healed. That's an amazing thing. You know, I'm going to I'm going to really turn some of your worlds upside down. You know, you've heard me preach against the health, wealth gospel before, right? You've you've heard me preach that. Okay. Now I'm going to make the waters really muddy here. There are people who have been healed by those ministries. Now, put that in your theological pipe and light it. (laughs) Because they exercised faith in Christ. Because they genuinely looked to Christ. And received a blessing. Bartimaeus had genuine faith in Jesus Christ and he received the blessing. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always going to receive the blessing to be healed when we look genuinely to the Lord in faith. The Apostle Paul had faith in Christ, right? And three times he prayed, Lord, please take this thorn out of my flesh. And the Lord told him, no. My grace is perfected in your weakness. So sometimes the genuine believer in Christ is exercising faith in Christ. But the answer sometimes for the wisdom of God's own purposes is no. It's not always Going to work out. Not all the Bartimaeuses are going to physically be healed. You need to keep that in mind. But sometimes they are. Yes, even in a post-apostolic age, God still does wondrous and mysterious things. And works of healing in response to those who cry out to him. And it's not because anything is invested in this TV evangelist. But it's because somebody out there listening. Truly believed. And laid hold of Christ. 
And Christ was pleased to answer their distress and heal them. We see that Bartimaeus had genuine faith in that he was healed. We see it Zacchaeus. His faith is demonstrated here again by what I said just a moment ago, by evangelical obedience here. Look at our, our text here in, in verse 8. Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus comes down. Jesus says, I'm coming over to your house. I'm going to have lunch with you. The, the, the Pharisees are grumbling against that. They're saying, this guy's a sinner. You know, why is he going to his house? Zacchaeus, it sounds like Zacchaeus hears the grumbling and says to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my possessions I'll give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. What's the significance of that? Well, notice here Jesus says to him in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. How did Jesus know that? Other than, you know, his divine omniscience, but... What, what's the point? Why did he ask that question? Why did he say it aloud? You ever thought about that? It's because, it's because Zacchaeus is exercising evangelical obedience. He's actually doing something that the law says you're supposed to do. That is, if you've cheated somebody, if you've defrauded, if you've stolen, you're supposed to pay them back and interest. And Zacchaeus is realizing here that as a tax collector, there may well be many that he has defrauded. And so he's realizing his gain has often come at the expense of defrauding others. And so he decides, this is what I'll do. I'll make restitution. I'll take half of my assets and give it to the poor. And if there are any other people who individually have claims against me, I'll repay them fourfold times. Now that, friends, is an expression of genuine faith in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of you, having been converted, have gone back to people that you've done wrong to in previous decades, maybe. And paid restitution to them, even if it's simply asking for forgiveness for something you said in your youth to them. And pastor, you're saying, oh, pastor, that's nuts. I don't know. That looks like evangelical faith operating. I remember the story of one man told me he was converted in his mid late 20s and he came to Christ. And having come to Christ, one of the things that was on his conscience was that as a little boy, he had gone to a neighborhood convenience store and he had stolen candy from that store. And so the next time he found himself in his hometown, he went back to that store and he knew the same store owner was still there. And he said he reintroduced himself to the store owner, told him who he was. He said, oh, yeah, I remember you. And he told him that as a little boy, he stole candy from the store. He said, I just want to pay you back with interest what I took from you. Now, think about what kind of testimony that leaves? I mean, do you think that store owner ever forgot him again? That somebody would come in as an adult and humble themselves and confess sins that they committed in their youth. 
That's a gospel witness there. You know, there once was a revival in Great Britain and it, it, it spread into a, a community that was known for shipbuilding. And one of the signs that the revival was a genuine revival and that it was not just some spurious uh, religious enthusiasm that just waned away. One of the evidences that it was genuine was the local town company that employed everybody was getting back all these tools that the men had stolen from the job site over the years. They had so many tools, the company actually had to put out an announcement, please stop bringing back tools. We don't have a place for all these tools that have been stolen. It was a sign of a a genuine awakening. Well, both men received salvation. Jesus says to Bartimaeus, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. He began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God too. the works of God caused other people to begin to praise God. And here we also have in verse nine, Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. He had the same faith when God told Abraham, look up into the stars and count them if you can Believe on this promise that you're going to become the father of many nations. And he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's the same faith. It's interesting here how Luke shows us faith from two angles. You know, so many times liberals, they want to pit Paul against James. And here Luke beautifully brings them together, doesn't he? On the one hand, you have Zacchaeus, where the emphasis is kind of on the Pauline side, justifying faith alone. That faith alone is justifies And then you have the the Zacchaeus account here that shows that a justifying faith is a faith that is not alone, but produces works. And it's not one versus the other, but it's both. There's no contradiction between Paul and James. There's no contradiction here between Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. Both have saving faith. They are trusting in Christ alone through faith alone. It's just different ways Luke is presenting it. Luke is presenting Bartimaeus as having the faith. He's presenting Zacchaeus as having the fruit of faith. And pronounces that a genuine faith. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Do you have the fruits of faith in your life? Are you producing the the fruit that Jesus will see and Jesus will recognize? And say, this too is a son of Abraham. This too is a daughter of Abraham. As we come to the Lord's table, is there anybody you need to make restitution to? Is there anybody that you've wronged, that you've spoken intemperately to? Anybody that you've cheated, defrauded? Anybody that you need to go? Jesus says, leave your offering at the altar and go make it right with them. And then come and worship the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we.